one of the things I want you to know as we kind of work through this issue on sexuality, I, I'm just going to speak two weeks on it, this week and next week. So there's going to be a lot of what-ifs and perhaps questions that you may have. So I hope you won't be hesitant. If you have any follow-up questions, don't hesitate to ask them because I can't say everything about everything. I can only say certain things. So um, just kind of keep that in mind as we work through this series. We're really excited. This is part of a larger series on living Christianly in the contemporary culture, which is not always so easy, is it? A couple weeks back, I heard a lecture by David Kinneman, who is currently in charge of the Barna Group. So they do surveys. I think he told me they've done, in the last 20 years, over 250,000 surveys. And inter no, interviews, not surveys, interviews. I felt like, wow, that's a lot of people. Um, and he gave forth several stats that I thought were telling for us as we think about living Christianly in a contemporary culture. He said one of the things they found was they interviewed people generically that 91% of the people they interviewed said that the only way to find yourself is to look within yourself. That's scary. Really? Wow, because you find a lot of interesting things if you start looking inside yourself. 86% of the people interviewed said fulfillment comes from following your desires. Wow. 89% said you should never criticize the choice of others. 52% said being against, taking a stand against same-sex relationships is dead wrong. 42% said people of faith are part of the problem in this culture. He had more stats. That was enough for me. And what I don't want to do is I don't want to walk through this series and have you come away with some bleak idea. Because I'm always an optimist. I'm always a person of hope of what God can do. But, but it does tell us that Christianity in a culture like ours is not, for some people, it's irrelevant. You know, it's just whatever. They're indifferent toward it. But more and more, people actually think it's harmful, especially when you espouse your positions. So when you talk about sexuality in our world, and people are thinking about gender identification, and people are thinking about homosexual relationships and same-sex relationships, and it's okay for premarital sex. And It's a hot button. And I would argue that we must speak into our culture with clarity. It's very, very important. But let me share another, not stat with you, that I heard from David Kinneman. Let me share with you just an experience I had from a brother in the last year who opened up. We were together. We were talking. And he told me that he hates himself 
because he has same-sex attractions for another man. I mean, that's, that's kind of something else I have to wrestle with, isn't it? Okay, I've got all these stats. Christianity is running upstream. We're running against, we're running, yeah, everything's going downstream. We're trying to run upstream. That's one of it. But, but when you meet people up close, people have struggles with these things. Do I cast my brother off? Do I give him two verses and tell him I'll see him in the morning? Like, what do you, what do you, what do you do? I hope over the new, next two Sundays that I can strike a balance between clarity and compassion. You'll have to judge whether I can. To do that, listen through for two weeks before you make a judgment. What I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to go back and look, because I'm calling this two-part series Redeeming Sexuality. And we'll unpack that in even more detail next week, that, that, that aspect. But what I want to do today is I want to go back to Genesis, Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And I want to look at God's design for sexuality. And then I want to look at how man has desecrated God's design. And then give you a little bit of hope at the end. Because it's there in Genesis 3. And then next week, I'm going to come back and talk about what the gospel does. In light of where we find ourselves today. Does that make sense? I mean, if we had an hour and a half, we could do the whole thing. But that's not going to work. So we'll, we'll just we'll cut in these parts. So God's design, because if, if we're going to get any clarity, we might as well go back to the architect and ask him, so what do you think, God? Because God speaks powerfully to these things. So let's go back and see God's design and how man perverts his design. Give a, give a little bit of hope at the back end because Genesis 3 does. And then we'll come back next week and unpack in greater detail what we learn from Jesus in the gospel that he brings. Does that make sense? So in your Bibles, come back with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 1. And in Genesis 1, I just want to look at, at Genesis 1, 26 to 30. Just one section in Genesis 1. And then in Genesis 2, I just want to look at one section, verses 18 and following. And then just a couple excerpts from Genesis 3. So although we're going through three chapters, we're not doing verse by verse, so relax. You know, we're not, not going to do that. You want to camp out at a couple, couple spots. So Genesis chapter 1, if you know anything about Genesis chapter 1, you've got God creating. And when God speaks, things happen, don't they? And we, we read about what happens the first day, the second day, goes right on through. We're, we come down, when we come down to verse 26, we, we are now on the sixth day of creation. God has already created um, birds and, and, and on the fifth day and, and the sixth day land animals. And, and the, the only reason I want you to know that is something that's really, really, really important about creation. And, and, and it's, it's, it's larger. There is a huge difference, between, and I hope you realize this, but there's a huge difference between humanity and everything else created. You recognize that? Now, I know, again, I, PETA notwithstanding, 
I know we live in a culture that wants to see this kind of continuum between animals and humanity distinct through and through. You may love your cat. That's great. And your dog. I'm all for all that stuff. We should be kind to animals. I get it. I get it. But we're not animals. We're different. And so notice in verse 26 what God says. This is really powerful. He's made the the birds and he's made the land animals. He's done all these things. In verse 26, you read this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image. You won't read that about anything else in creation. And perhaps you could even translate it, let us make man as our image. I mean, often in the ancient world, a king would come in and he, he, would, he would overcome a particular area. And when he would leave, he'd leave a statue of himself and go off to another city and do whatever he's going to do. But that city was constantly reminded when they saw that statue, there was a king. There was a king and we're responsible to that king. God said, in this world, if people are going to know there's a king, I want somebody there to represent me, to further my purposes, one who knows me, one who alone can communicate with me. No cow can communicate with God. You know? It's absolutely unique, this ability for humanity to be in touch at the spiritual level and then to represent God and his purposes in this world. Let us make man in our image. Very powerful stuff. In our likeness, Um, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. What I love in verse 26, verse 26 gives us the intention of God. God says, as I look at my world, I want to create humankind that can know me No other creature can know me like that and can represent me into this world. Does that make sense? God says, that's my intent. Well, the God who intends is the God that does. Look at what happens here in verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Now listen to this, folks. Male and female, he created them. The God who intended is the God that does. And the God that does says, I want humanity. But when I look at humanity, you can characterize humanity under these two categories. Male and female. Do you see that? They're different. They weren't meant to be the same. They were meant to be distinct. And it's not just our physicality, okay? But male and female, God says, the way we make a difference in this world is people that can communicate with me, men, women, unique, different, 
both human, representing me in the world. If those lines get blurred, I do not get represented correctly. Do do, do, do you see the larger issue? God says it's humanity, and humanity can be broken down in, in, in these two ways, male and female. The God who desires is the God who does. And thirdly, look at verse 28. The Bible says God blessed them and said to them. Now, I know earlier when he talks about birds, God blesses the birds and says, go fly around and do all the stuff you're going to do and grow and team and all that stuff. But it is only humanity that can be spoken directly to by God. You say, well, what about the serpent in Genesis chapter 3? There's something kind of hokey going on there, right? Like Satan is involved in that thing. That's a little bit different. All other creatures, God does not speak to them in the way that they can communicate with him. But humanity is different. God intends for us to be different and to represent him and to know him. God creates us that way, and then he speaks directly to them to do what he's called them to do. Look at what it says, verse 28. God blessed them, and he said directly to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. I want you together. You're going to make this lifelong commitment together, Adam and Eve. And you're going to propagate, propagate, propagate. And there's going to be people over here who are going to marry and propagate, propagate. And people over here propagate. And I want you to fill the earth. And I want you to remember as you're filling that earth, you are my representatives here who are to be furthering my purposes here on this earth. God says, that's what I want. That's where I put male and female. Different, but the same as humans working together. Do you you see his intent? The design doesn't seem terribly confusing to me, does it to you? Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, in talking about the male-female relationship, is going to focus heavily by way of application onto the area of marriage. And so I understand you may say, yeah, but I'm single and I have this situation, that situation. I'm hoping we can cover some of those entailments next week. Okay? I, I just... I just want to say what we can find, say here. There's more to say. There's more Jesus says. There's more Paul says. I get it. I get it. I, we, 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 but if we're going to talk about sexuality, we've got to see it within the contours of the way God has created things. The designer God has called humanity to a unique role, and he is differentiated between male and female. Okay? Genesis chapter 2 we're going to see how male and female within the context of marriage are to be relating. Listen to what he says. I love it when you get to chapter 2 and verse 18. I don't know how else to say this, but... um, Oh, what does God say at the end of each day of creation? And it is what? Good, good. So you kind of get this cadence in chapter 1. It is good, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. In chapter 2, verse 18, notice this. This is fascinating to me. Um, The Bible says, and the Lord God said, it is not good. Doesn't that strike you as 
interesting? Do you mean before Adam and Eve have sinned? In a world of beauty and wonder where God is saying, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. God says, it's not good. Really? Like, what's not good? So what he says. It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So, there's a problem. God is looking at Adam, and on that sixth day of creation, you have Adam being created first, the man. God sees this man, he says, you know what? This guy needs a helper. Ladies, don't you know that one? This guy needs a helper. And literally, it means he needs somebody to compliment him. Often in the Old Testament, the one who is the helper is God himself. But in this context, he chooses to use the woman to be the helper of the man. He needs a helper, and literally it says, who is opposite him. So here you have this male guy who's alone, in perfect relationship with God, but he needs somebody to help him, humanly speaking, who's opposite of him. Do you see that? That's woman, in case you're wondering. God knows it. Adam needs to come to realize it. So God has uh, Adam go through this zoology lesson, if you will, right? So, I mean, don't tell me there's no humor in Scripture. This is, this is pretty good. Look at what happens in verse 19. Now, the Lord God had formed out of the grand ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, right? And for each one of them, there was, there was a male and a female, right? He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in, in the sky, and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. You see what God does? He says, I want you to start naming these animals. Cow. Male cow, female cow. Male horse, female horse. Male dog, female dog. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he goes, he goes through this entire thing. And at the end, he hears himself like, hello, I don't have one. You see? God, God, bring, God knows it. The man needs to come to realize. And as he's naming all these animals, he goes, like, yeah, I, don't, I don't have that. So God says, relax, I'll take care of this one. I'm glad you came to realize it. So the text says, um, Oh, verse 19, uh, I already said that, verse uh, 21, yeah. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Isn't that great? The rib. Can't get much closer to the heart than that, can you? Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. And folks, verse 23, first time the guy speaks in, the New, in, 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 in Scripture, 
And in the Hebrew, he speaks poetically. Gentlemen, just remember that sometimes. Like a little bit of poetry can take you a, a, a distance. But anyway, so he speaks this. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. In the Hebrew, it's just the word ish and isha. She shall be called isha because she was taken out of ish. And, and he just wants you to come away with this sense. And that's why I like the woman, man, woman and man because they're so close. And so you read through this passage, uh, and, and, and what you find are at least four things. And I wrote them down so I don't forget them, because sometimes I just start talking, and I forget to put these things down. So I make sure I'm clear on it. Number one, man and woman are identical in personhood. They're both human. That's really important, isn't it? We, where's my, my wonderful wife is over here. As persons before God, we are equal. We are humans. Do you see that? It's real important. That's one thing that comes out of this text. Number two. We are distinct in gender and in sex. Sherry is not like me. She's opposite me. I don't need another Doug. And neither do you. But she's purposely created by God to be opposite, to be different. She's a woman, and I'm a man. God says, that's exactly what I want. Thirdly, we have a complementary role. She helps me. And in turn, I try to help her. I can't tell you how many times in my marriage that my wife has given me such wise perspective. And I've come back and said, hey, honey, blah, 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 but this guy, blah, blah, blah. I'm talking away. You're talking away. It's what you do with your wife, right? She'll say, yes, but honey, did you think about blank? No. Never crossed my mind. I didn't think about it. I don't think womanly. I think differently, you know? And, and, and you know, men, uh, you know, guys, you know what we're like. You want to get a car. Does it run? What's the price? That's it, mostly. Now, I know there's guys that want more things like that. But the wife is often worried about how will this impact getting my mother-in-law into the car and what about this? And I mean, you know, she's seeing all kinds of entailments. The guy's just saying, good price. <laughs> and what I need is not another me. I need somebody opposite me. I need a woman. We're not going to procreate this world any other way. I mean, that's just, it's, I mean, folks, I don't, how, I don't know how else to say. Do you see what I'm saying? I mean, honestly, some of the conversations that go on in our days where people argue certain things on gender and sex issues, and, and I'm going like, I, I don't know. I, I just shake my head sometimes. It just that doesn't make a lot of sense. And so people say, well, sex is the way you're, um, is the way you're designed physically at birth, biologically at birth. Gender 
is what you really want to be from the inside. And I recognize that there's um, people are, are conflicted. I, I, look, I'm, not, I'm not foolish to that. I, I, I understand that. But, but it's interesting to me, the food, I think it was the Food and Drug Administration, up until 2011, saw no distinction between sex and gender. And after 2011, they now have split to this modern thing. Sex is the way you look physically, biologically at birth. Gender, I don't know how to say it. It's how you feel, what you desire, what you think you are inside. And thus now we have gender wars and sex wars. And I would argue a whole lot of confusion. And honestly, if we stay on this trajectory, we're going to have more and more young people that are just so confused and will not be helped in a way that honors Christ. But the Bible's pretty clear on it. I, I'm just, I mean, you know, I'm just telling you it is what it is, right? Equals persons, distinct in gender, complementary in role, and intimate companions. Within the context of marriage, sexuality, the act of sex, all those things find their fullness within that particular context called marriage, don't they? Where you have intimate companions, this husband and wife, they're opposite, they're not supposed to be the same. And what occurs there is reserved for marriage and goes on in marriage. And God says, this is my design when it comes to the issue of sex. We've only read two chapters. Genesis 1, Genesis 2. And God is saying, when you think of humanity, there's only two options, male and female. That's it. There's not he, she, z, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Or no gender. Or no sex. It's just like, it, it's, I'm sorry, folks. It's crazy. Humans are equals persons. Male and female is the way God has designed it. In the context of marriage, they complement each other and they experience a form of intimacy and companionship within the context, with, with, with the blessing of sex in a way that was only meant for that context, which then gives, gives, produces, in typical scenarios, children who then propagate and continue the process. That's what the Bible says. There it is. And I know there's whatabouts. What about people that feel conflicted? The Bible speaks to that stuff too, folks. I'm going to try to unpack some of that with you a little bit more next week. I'm, I'm getting there. Does this, does this kind of make sense? Genesis 1, Genesis 2. Genesis 3, everything goes awry. And you will see that what goes awry impacts the whole issue of sexuality in some pretty profound ways. Starting with the relationship between Adam and Eve themselves and spilling over into the entire human race. So in Genesis chapter 3, you remember that old serpent slides up and wants to have this religious discussion with Eve. And says, look, I just had a question. Is it true God actually said this? Because if he did, he's like, he's really, really hard. Like, I can't believe God would say something like that. Did he say that? Eve? Well, no, he didn't say that exactly, but he said something like that. I, well, that's not going to happen. God's, 
God, you're not going to die. God, no, God's afraid of you, actually. That's really what it is. And, you know, the whole temptation thing goes on in Genesis chapter 3. And the temptation revolves around three things in Genesis 3. The first one is, I need that. The language of want becomes the language of need. You know what? I, I do need... God, God isn't good. God is keeping something away from me. I need that. Does that ever go on in our day? Second, I will have it. I will be like God. I will have it. I need it. God is not good. He's keeping something from me. He's allowing me to feel certain ways. He shouldn't allow me to feel, and I shouldn't be feeling this way, and I need that, and I will have that. And the third thing is, there will be no consequences. I will get away with it. Those lies in Genesis 3 are with us to this day. I need it. God's keeping it from me. he's, He's not good. And I might as well rule my life anyway instead of him. I will have it. And I will get away with it. And there are three lies. When you change the language of desire into the language of need, what do you do? I've had people, Doug, you don't know the way I'm wired. You don't know how I feel. This is who I am. This is what I want. This is what I need. You see what they're doing? And it all slips. It all slips. And the worst thing for me to do is look at somebody like that and say, you're right, man. You go your way, I'll go mine. Sorry. Instead, I need to learn what it means to speak grace and truth into that life. And to tell them you're not thinking correctly. And there is a God who can change you. That's what I want to tell people. I live in a world where I'm supposed to keep my mouth shut. But then I'm not loving. How can I do that? Do you see the challenge? So they buy into the lie. They eat the fruit. Adam sits there and watches his wife go through it. He should have stepped up as the leader and then did something. Instead, he's this passive resignation guy who just lets the whole thing happen and does nothing. They plunge the whole human race. There's alienation against God, and when there's alienation against God, there's alienation with one another. So the only thing they can do is they start to hide from God. And this couple who at the end of chapter 2 were totally open are now beginning to build up walls in the relationship. And when God comes and confronts Adam, does Adam say, oh God, I'm sorry, it was me, forgive me. What does he do? That woman that you gave me, right? I mean, do you see the blame shift? Covering up, blame shifting. Man, we're just chips off the old block. We learn all this stuff from Adam and Eve. Then you begin reading in Genesis chapter 4, and you'll find the first murder, and you'll find polygamy, and you keep reading, and you will find incest, and you will keep reading, and you will find homosexuality, and you will find 
premarital sex and you will find one perversion again and again of a God who wanted to create people, male and female, to represent him and to, in the appropriate bounds of marriage, to express that, to procreate and represent him to the world. And the whole thing goes south. Honestly, if you turn the rest of Genesis into a movie, if you were graphic with it, part of it would be X-rated if you weren't careful. Is it, you know what I'm saying? Because it's sorted. Everything imaginable. You're going to like, what did he, Judah, like, isn't Christ going to come through that line? And he's sleeping around. I know. I know. Everything goes south. So the answer is, live and let live, right? It's the way things are. Just, hey, you do what you want. I do what I want. As long as you don't bug me, I won't bug you. No. God has to intervene again, doesn't he? And in Genesis chapter 3, when he curses the serpent, he's really cursing Satan himself. He makes, he makes this statement. Look at chapter 3 of Genesis, verse 15, speaking the curse to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head you will strike his heel. When a serpent bites you in the heel, and you don't do anything about it, you still die, don't you? And Satan will bite the heel, but the ultimate victor, Jesus Christ, will come out of the grave, and coming out of the grave because he died for us on the sin, uh, for, he died for us on the cross for the sins of the world, he will crush and permanently destroy Satan, sin, and all of its entailments. And the fruit hasn't even rotted yet, and God is already saying, I will intervene. I will not say live and let live. I will come. I will save And I will transform and begin to restore and point you back to God's intention in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Folks, that's what the gospel does. I don't know where you are here today. You may be listening to everything I say and say, amen, Doug. I'm with you. Let's go get them. Um. Who can you start praying for? Who comes to your mind that you can reach out to? Not to condemn, to speak with clarity the hope that is in Jesus Christ. Who? You say, I'm here today. I don't buy a thing you're saying. You're just an old traditionalist, lost in an old book, Man, you just don't know anything about freedom. You don't understand how sociology works, societal constructs, anthropology, psychology. Da, 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 da. 
And all I can tell you is God does. And if you lose your moorings from him, you become very relativistic in the way you live. We've seen that again and again in cultures. And I would ask you just to listen and be open to what God has. And if you're here today and you're struggling, you say, Pastor Doug, I'm a believer. You talk about people whose internal impulses are different from the way they are constructed physically, biologically. That's me. I, 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 I struggle with same-sex attraction. They say I'm a girl, but I feel like a guy. They say I'm a guy, I feel like a girl. I, I, I don't share that with anybody, but I feel it in my soul. And I want you to know something. There is hope for you. We have structures here to help you. Come and talk to us. James has counseled, I don't know how many people, but a lot who have struggled with these kinds of things. We are here to help you because we believe in deliverance through the gospel. Do, do you hear me? That's not something you should hold into yourself. You're not with people who will then say, oh, oh, because we're all sinners. We sin in different ways. Some of us are great liars. <laughs> Some of us get really angry. We just have different structure. We have different desires in our heart which keep us from doing everything that God wants us to do. And so if you're struggling, come talk. We want to help. I don't know. Did I miss anybody in the audience? I, if, if, I, if you're somebody other than what I just said, I'm glad you're here too. Stay with us. Next week, I don't want to look so much at God's original design, how humanity has desecrated it. I want to look at how Jesus Christ and his gospel begins to restore what has been lost. Does that make sense? We must speak with clarity. We must speak with compassion and hope. The guy I mentioned to you at the beginning... who hates himself has learned more and more what it means to find himself in Christ. And he's growing. And God is doing a change in his life. I mean, that's, that's what we're into. We're not here to condemn. We're here to point out the truth so people can learn to live by God's grace, the truth. That's what it's about, isn't it, folks? That's what God wants for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for um, well, we thank you for the clarity of your word. But Lord, we thank you for the hope that you give us in your word that we can begin to experience transformation. It is slow, it is hard, it is tedious, it is time-consuming, it is all those things. 
And Lord, for wherever people are here today, for anyone who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, may your spirit work and woo that person to yourself. For believers, may they be men and women of clarity and compassion for the world around us. And for those that might be struggling, help them to learn not to struggle alone, but to come, to share, and to begin to find freedom in Jesus Christ. In his name I pray, amen.